Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 21 of Life with GDPR. It's a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Jonathan Armstrong from the Cordery Firm in London, we take a look at data privacy, data protection, GDPR, and similarly related issues. First, as you know, the Compliance Podcast Network is always expanding, and I'm looking for new podcasts. Have you wanted to do a podcast but didn't know how? Take a listen to our sponsor this week, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode with Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Quarry Compliance in London. Jonathan, uh, first of all, welcome. Thank you very much, Tom, and Happy New Year to the uh, GDPR audience. That's right, and our fan base is no doubt ready for some 2019 GDPR. Uh, Jonathan, there were a couple of um, client alerts that Corey put out earlier this month that I thought would make great topics and certainly very interesting for not only the data privacy, data protection community, but I think probably the wider compliance and corporate communities as well. Uh, the first one is on Cambridge Analytica, the uh, well-known uh, scandal involving Facebook. But when I read your client alert and read the underlying uh, citations that you guys linked to, uh, frankly, I was, um, I don't want to say dumbfounded, but um, <laughs> very put out by the approach taken by Cambridge Analytica and the language they used uh, literally in, in the briefing. So uh, with that tease, I'll let you give the background and then uh, really get to the meat of uh, why this was turned out to be so interesting. Yeah, I, li- I like this case. And it's in some respects the poster child for how not to relate to a regulator. We had an earlier case called Talk Talk where somebody was similarly rude to a regulator and got uh, similarly found that discretion wasn't exercised in their favor. And it's surprising that people don't learn the lesson that however much you might disagree with the legal interpretation of a regulator, then they deserve respect. So the case, as you rightly say, is an offshoot of the ICO, the UK Debt Protection Regulators, investigation into Cambridge Analytica and its role in electioneering. Now, it's fair to say that this is a sizable investigation. The commissioner has said that she had 40 of her staff on the case and 20 additional members uh, on an investigatory team, people like uh, lawyers that she'd co-opted into that team. And As uh, we've said on these podcasts, that team's already been responsible for some enforcement action, notably against uh, aggregate IQ, but also the Emma's diary case that we talked about on an earlier podcast is also a product of the same investigation. Now, this case is a little unusual in that it deals with subject access requests. So, under GDPR, an individual can serve a notice on a corporation and say, tell me the data that you have on me. Under the old rules, uh, 
you could do that uh, in writing. It didn't have to be on a special form. Uh, this case concerns the old rules. Under GDPR, you can do that orally. You don't have to mention the fact that it's under GDPR. You can literally, let's say, walk into a retailer and say, I'd like to see what you have on me. And they have to deal with that as a, as a subject access request. Incidentally, under the old rules, you could charge a small fee, which was charged in this case under the new rules, you can't. So this SAR was made by a, a, a subject access request is called an SAR in the trade, sometimes a DSAR. This uh, SAR was made by a US citizen, uh, Professor David Carroll, and he was uh, doing some uh, work into the activities of Cambridge Analytica in engineering. And he made an SAR to Cambridge Analytica in January 2017. And as I say, this was under the old law, in this case, the Data Protection Act 1998. Um, in March 2017, he was given some basic information, as well as a document which complains some predictions about him and his political opinions. He was dissatisfied. He thought that the uh, disclosures were incomplete. And by the way, that's certainly our experience uh, that, that quite often it's hard for corporations, even those with the best of intentions, to find all of the data they have on a first run. And some would say that some corporations deliberately take measures to restrict the information they release. For example, Max Schrems and his pressure group, NOYB, have just launched a raft of complaints to regulators across the EU saying that companies that involve in uh, involved in streaming, uh, he alleges, deliberately restrict the amount of data that they give people. But anyhow, in this case, Professor Carroll asked for further information and, uh, and he uh, then asked the ICO to investigate when they didn't give him the information they requested. SCL responded uh, and said that as a, U a UK, a non-UK citizen, Carol had no more right to submit an SAR, quote, than a member of the Taliban sitting in a cave in Afghanistan. That's uh, obviously not the most helpful reply to give to a regulator. The regulator replied saying that they disagreed with SCL's views on jurisdiction. And then SCL replied then to the regulator saying that they, quote, did not expect to be further harassed with this sort of correspondence. Now, surprise, surprise, the regulator didn't take kindly to being talked to in that type of language. They issued an enforcement notice in May 2018, which effectively ordered SCL to comply with the subject access requests. This is a technique that the ICO have used previously, for example, against Nottingham Forest uh, Football Club, you would call it a soccer club, uh, where they ordered uh, Forest to comply with SARs. And the ICO gave uh, SCL, uh, the parent company of Cambridge Analytica, 30 days to comply. Um, they didn't comply and criminal proceedings were brought. Uh, those criminal proceedings uh, went to a magistrate's court in the UK, the sort of uh, base level criminal court. 
uh, on uh, January 9th. Um, but there was a slight complication in that by then, SCL was in uh, administration and the, the uh, in insolvency effectively. Uh, the administrators of SCL who are running the company pleaded guilty to an offence of failure to comply with an enforcement notice, and they were fined uh, £15,000, ordered to pay £6,000 towards the ICO's legal costs and uh, a small victim surcharge. But what could be more significant is that the ICO also said that they will refer the directors of SCL to the insolvency service. And the effect of this could be, I should stress could, that there could be an investigation into the individual directors of SCL and the way in which they have run the business. And that could have significant consequences for the directors if the insolvency service decide that they have not run the business as assiduously as they might have done. In extreme cases, the directors can be subject to proceedings themselves and they can be disbarred from holding office in corporations uh, in, in the UK. So um, it's a significant case, I think, and one that shows that the criminal aspects of data protection law can be triggered relatively easy. And it also shows that directors can be personally liable. Now, I should just mention in passing that prosecutions like this are still permitted under the GDPR regime. In the UK, the 1998 Data Protection Act has now been replaced by the 2018 Data Protection Act. It has additional criminal um, uh, uh, criminal sanction, including destroying data once an SCR has been made. And there are at least allegations that after Professor Carroll made his request, some data that would have been disclosed under the SCR was no longer available. And if that's the case, an additional criminal prosecution could be brought for that activity. And again, personal criminal uh, proceedings could be brought against any director, officer, servant or agent of the corporation who uh, uh, consented or turned a blind eye to that type of uh, disposal of documents. So I should stress that the 2018 Act didn't apply to this subject access request. And so there's no suggestion that there are additional criminal provisions under the 2018 Act. But if this fact pattern was repeated uh, now that GDPR is in, or now that the 2018 UK legislation's in, the consequences could be even worse. So shall I do some quick takeaways, Tom, or have you sure. any questions? So well, I was going to ask you, what are some of the takeaways, Jonathan? <laughs> right. Uh, so some quick takeaways. I guess to state the obvious first, regulators deserve respect. Not all regulators get it right all of the time. On points like jurisdiction, personally, I think there is still a live debate as to whether under the old legislation, the uh, ICO uh, had the ability to intervene and met whether she should have intervened. 
But in some respects, that's immaterial. The fact that she did, if you disagree with her, then I think it's incumbent on the attorneys representing SCL or whatever to respectfully disagree, not to use emotive language like references to the Taliban or harassment. The regulators deserve respect and treat them with such respect. Uh, Jonathan, a, uh, before you move on, we have a saying in Texas that bad facts make bad law. But here it even took it a step further where with just an inane argument could conceivably have led to um, a, a inappropriate ruling on jurisdiction or bad law. I think you're exactly right. I think you are right. Um, uh, certainly the Let's just say the court here has stretched jurisdiction wider than some thought it landed. And, of course, this is hugely consequential for every single corporation because uh, a lot of organizations uh, assume that GDPR subject access rights only relate to people within the EU and not those outside the EU. Already, the EU authorities are, uh, as at the end, as at the middle of November, they'd already had 57,000 complaints. Usually, around 50% of complaints relate to subject access rights. So the EU regulators are already dealing with, let's say, ballpark, 40,000 complaints about subject access. If we're going to open up the books to complaints from American individuals, from Indian individuals, from Chinese individuals as well, well, firstly, corporations are going to have, I'd suggest, quite the avalanche. Secondly, regulators are going to be uh, swamped. Thirdly, courts are, because GDPR gives an easy right of access uh, or should give an easier right of access uh, to the courts or to specialist tribunals or whatever to enforce rights. And fourthly, of course, corporations are going to expend an awful lot of energy following these subject access rights around. We, we think it takes, from some anecdotal stuff we did with our clients, about 120 to 200 man hours per request. So there's a significant effort involved in fulfilling subject access requests. And if GDPR also applies to, for example, US citizens when data is being processed on them in the EU, then that's different from the view that many people have taken previously. So I agree with you that, that, that uh, it's, I mean, it could be that cases like this eventually go to a higher court. But for now, at least, we know that GDPR has a significant uh, worldwide effect. Um, I'd say a couple of other takeaways. Obviously, data subjects have rights and they will enforce them and data protection authorities will assist them on that. Uh, the extraterritorial reach point we've talked about. And I think that the uh, other thing to think about is that um, civil action may well ensure. Um, Professor Carroll is also involved in some litigation relating to that insolvency that I talked about earlier. 
he said that his claim might be worth between 5,000 and 20,000 pounds sterling. So if you roll that up and, you know, even on a conservative basis, say that many organizations might have data on, let's say, 10,000 customers, then it's easy to see that if each of them is entitled to a claim of, let's say, to take the middle, 15,000, 12,000 pounds, $20,000-ish, then you can easily get to lottery numbers with a relatively small number of customers or a relatively small number of employees. So I think it's a significant case for a lot of reasons. Um, obviously, even though the criminal proceedings are over, this case will continue in its other aspects. But the extraterritorial reach bit particularly is something that everybody should be taking into account, particularly in areas like internal investigations, particularly in areas like uh, corporate due diligence, uh, uh, pre-employment uh, uh, pre checks, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Jonathan, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. We have been visiting with Jonathan Armstrong on the recent case, uh, recent decision in England on the Cambridge Analytica matter. Uh, we're going to link to the quarterly uh, client alert in our show notes. Jonathan, I look forward to continuing the conversation. My pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Life with GDPR. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jonathan at jonathanarmstrong at quarterly compliance. I have a special announcement. Navex Global needs your expertise on ethics and compliance programs. And you're involved in the managing employee policies and procedures, hotline incident management, or training initiatives. Navex Global would like to hear from you for their 2019 Future of Compliance survey. I'm going to link to the survey in the show notes. I hope you will complete the survey. For every survey completed, they will make a donation to one of several charities. This is Tom Fox. Life with GDPR is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.